book, the book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 1, please. 1 Timothy 1. There was a stocking cap found in the parking lot. If you hit his cold, um, there it is. First Timothy chapter number one. It's interesting, I was listening, I was considering as we were singing, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. And that, that phrase, I was mulling that over in my mind as we were singing it. I don't know about you, but when I walk into a place like Menards, I hear their music. Almost every place you walk into, I don't know if you know that or not, but almost every place you walk into has, is playing music, and most of them have words to the music, if you're, most people aren't paying any attention, but I hear the, I don't hear so much the music, but I hear the words to it, and I, and I listen to see what it's saying. And I was sitting there thinking, I wonder how many of those songs will be sung forever. Most of those songs, you, you know, you sing them when you're young, thinking, hey, that's all cool, and then after you reap the results of it, Later on down in life, you don't even want to sing them when you're 40 because they were such a mess. But you've got to know that those songs aren't going to make the cut for eternity. But what we sing, the songs of Zion here, we will be able to sing of the mercies of the Lord. That's something that you will be able to continue on for a very, very long time. The Lord's goodness in our lives. First Timothy chapter number 1. Verse number one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach teach. Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, tonight's message might be a little strange. Now I'll be the first to admit that although I have been a pastor for over 30 years now, I really don't know much about the job. In all the other jobs that I had when I was growing up, you know, you work at the job for a week or two, pretty soon you get to kind of get into the swing of things and you understand what's going on and pretty much you got a handle on the job. Pastoring isn't like that at all. I have learned, I think, quite a few things. In fact, I started a little while ago, a, a few months, I have time gets by me, weeks, months, years, I don't know, uh, back, uh, writing short, a series of short, we'll call them articles, for Daniel as he got into the ministry, things that I thought that I had, things that I have learned that I think would be helpful for him to know as he gets into the ministry. But even though I've written them down, I wouldn't swear that they're accurate. It's a weird, it's a different kind of a job. For it, but for this reason... The book of 1 Timothy has special interest to me because 1 Timothy is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, explaining, mentoring him, trying to help him as he pastors. 
Now, I spent quite a bit of time a few months ago in the book of 1 Timothy, and I wrote a lot of notes concerning this book. The message for tonight is from those notes. Now, the strange part is that it is advice given from one minister to another. So how far does that apply to you? Okay, now, let's get a handle on this. If we were of a different belief, the message would have no meaning whatsoever to you. In most of the religious world, and even in what we will very loosely term the Christian world, there is a distinct difference between the religious leaders and the people. The Native Americans had a medicine man who was regarded as sacred or at and the Aztecs and the Mayans had priests. The Buddhists and the, the Oriental religions had priests and monks. These religions held uh, their leaders up as something special. They were untouchable. They considered them holy men. Not because of their actions, because many of them, if you read these things, their actions were anything but holy. But they were considered holy men because of their position. Now, these influences and attitudes can be seen in certain religions today. The religious leaders have special clothes that set them apart from everybody else. They have special places where they live. They have special privileges. They have special functions that no one else is allowed to perform but them. Now, I think that most of us are familiar with this. And if you were in part of one of those religions to stand up and speak as one minister speaking to another, it would be a pointless thing because you're set apart. There's a difference between the religious leader and the people. But if you consider the scriptures, we do not see the pastor as someone totally set apart or separate from the people. He's not in a different class. He's not set aside as someone special. We expect our pastors to be holy men. But we determine that by their actions, not by the position that they hold. And because of this, our pastors do not wear special clothes, but they wear normal clothes. They live in normal houses. And although they have specific jobs that they do, they are not the only ones who can do those jobs. The bloodlines do not determine the position. In fact, it should be the constant prayer of this church that God would raise up ministers from this body, from the people of this church, to minister, pastor all over the world. That should be our constant prayer. Now, with all that being said, how much advice that Paul gave to Timothy is applicable to every person sitting in the pew? Well, I'll try to explain the, the instructions that Paul gave, and I'll let you and the Holy Spirit decide how much of it should apply in your life. The title of this evening's message, Right Doctrine Isn't Enough. Right Doctrine Isn't Enough. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We ask that you would teach us here. You know the shortcomings. You know the the failures, you know the... the
perfect will be done in each heart and each life, that your word would go forth as you intend it to, it would not go anywhere it should not go, and that your spirit would keep any from being confused. Lord, do the work that you intend to do in your own way. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of Paul's writings are, as Peter said, hard to be understood. And one of the reasons why that they're sometimes hard to be understood is because Peter, sorry, Peter, Paul is the king of run-on sentences. In verse number one and two, that is only one sentence. Verse number three and four is only one sentence. The next sentence takes verses five, six, and seven to create the one sentence. I often thought if you wanted to um, drive an English professor insane, you would give him one of Paul's sentences and ask him to diagram it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember diagramming in school? Diagramming sentences? You put an English professor in his own little room there and you hand him one of these sentences and about 15 minutes later you'd go in there and he'd just be a blathering idiot for the rest of his life. <laughs> he would blow something inside trying to diagram one of these sentences. But if we're careful, the meaning is often not too hard to understand. According to verse number 3, Paul has given Timothy some specific instructions when both of them were at Ephesus. Paul is getting ready to leave to go to Macedonia, and he's leaving Timothy in charge of the work there. So Paul's giving, already given him instructions before he left. Let's read that so we catch that. Verse number 3 and 4. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So, Paul is, he said, when I was there at Ephesus, I was getting ready to go to Macedonia, and I told you to do something. I told you to stay at Ephesus, and I told you to do something. What did he tell Timothy to do? What instructions did he give him? Well, first off, he told him, make sure that you are teaching correct doctrine, and make sure others are teaching correct doctrine as well. Be careful about this whole thing. I don't know if you pay attention to this, but the church falls into two separate camps, it seems, on this particular issue. On one side, it seems like the doctrines of the Bible are immaterial. Trying to be buddy-buddy with everybody, and as the ridiculous bumper sticker says, coexist, is a ridiculous notion. There are some doctrines in the Bible that are non-negotiable. You just got to know it. There are non-negotiable, and if they don't believe it, you just can't get along. It's all there is to it. You cannot fellowship with them. Unity is a wonderful thing and all that, but unity at the expense of truth is error. Giving up the clear teaching of Scripture just to get along is not right. On the other side of it, you either fall into that camp, well, we don't really care, we just want to be unified. On the other side of the equation, 
It seems like all those people want to do on the other side is want to divide. They just want to fight. Not on the clear teachings of the scripture, but on the unclear teachings or personal preferences. It seems like, referring to the Old Testament story, if you don't say shibboleth, just like they do, then they want to slit your throat. We must not fall prey to either side. We must hold fast to correct doctrine. But we must not fight just because someone doesn't agree with every little thing that I believe. We've got to hold on to the clear teachings of Scripture without fighting over all of the other things. Paul says to Timothy, make sure you hold correct doctrine. Make sure everybody else around you is too. The second thing he tells him is, don't get sidetracked. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying. You know, there's a lot of side issues that can consume us. Paul calls them fables, endless genealogies, things that stir up questions and division. Now, if you do any reading in the religious realm, you'll know that these days we are inundated with these things. People spend huge amounts of time trying to prove their own point and then they argue the other person into the ground. Now, what happens in these things? What is the end result of someone who takes one of these little side things and studies it with countless hours and then debates it with another believer? Answer, if it can be found, doesn't make a nickel's worth of difference in the person's walk with the Lord. The knowledge, quote unquote, gained from such study puffs them up. And when you take two such, quote unquote, scholars trying to prove themselves correct, contention, strife, and division is the only outcome. The things which are be to discuss, according to Paul, are the things that help a person become more Christ-like and strengthen their faith. He says, do not get sidetracked. It's very easy to do. So Paul has two instructions. He tells Timothy these before he even leaves. What he says is, teach correct doctrine and make sure that the others are teaching that correct doctrine as well. And don't get sidetracked with lots of worthless things that end up causing a lot of study and debate. Don't fall into the trap. Study what is helpful for people to grow in the Lord and strengthen their faith. Now, Paul has not changed his mind. He's writing, now he's gone. He's been gone for a while, and he's writing Timothy again. He's not changed his mind. He's reminding Timothy of these instructions. This isn't the first time Timothy's heard these things. This is what he told him before he left. Hold correct doctrine and teach it, and don't get sidetracked. If we read through it, why does Paul repeat this? Verse number three, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. Then he gives two more words. So do. 
That's what I told you before I left. And I'm telling you right now, keep doing that. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Teach correct doctrine and don't get sidetracked. But he says, I've got something to add. Basically he's saying, what I told you before is not enough. What I told you before I left, there's more to it than that. Correct doctrine is important, so hold on to it. Correct doctrine is not enough. Paul says, here is the rest of the instructions. Here is the second half of the equation. Yes, you're going to hold correct doctrine, and you're going to make others do it as well. And yes, you are not going to get sidetracked by these endless debates and that rage around you. But that isn't enough. He says, I got three more things. Saying, hey, the first half of the equation I already told you. Let me give you the second half. What are these three things? Verse number five. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. He says, here's the rest of the commandment. I already gave you the first half before I left, but this is what I need to tell you now. Timothy, hold that correct doctrine and avoid the foolish debates that sidetrack you. But, number one, you're going to need to do it with love from a pure heart. You're going to need to do this with love from a pure heart. Now, why would Timothy, Paul tell Timothy this? He'd already given Timothy instruction before he left. So why this addition? Why is he writing back and saying, yeah, remember what I told you to do that, but don't let me add a few things to this. Well, if you ask me, I think by this time Timothy has probably figured out a few things. He's figured out, he's discovered, that people are not always lovable. Working with people can be very difficult. It's never clean and easy. It's often dirty and unpleasant. By now, Timothy has probably passed what they call in ministry circles the honeymoon stage of his pastorate. And he's discovering the fact that people are not always lovable. Holding people accountable, especially other leadership. Now remember, what has he told him? Hold correct doctrine and make sure that others are teaching it too, the correct doctrine. What, is, what does that involve? It involves holding other leadership accountable. Okay, well, what does that involve? Conflict. That's what it involves. It involves approaching another leader and saying, hey, you're not, this isn't right what you're doing here. Now, I think all of you have been maybe at your work or in the ministry realm, had to, you've had to do this. Maybe in your family you've had to confront somebody. What happens when you have conflict? It's easy when you've had a disagreement to start not loving so much, to start dealing, how do we say this?
sides and one side and the other side and you kind of go at it. It's easy to let the love just seem to get lost in the conflict. And Paul says, well, whoa, 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 whoa. you're going to hold correct doctrine. You've got to kind of watch everybody else here too. But while you're doing it, make sure that you are doing this with love. And Timothy already probably has figured out that it's possible to do his job strictly from duty and force of habit. You know, the ministry can actually easily be reduced to a punch-the-time-clock kind of mindset. You get the paycheck, you have the routine, and the job itself becomes the driving force without love. Paul says, hey, Timothy, you know what I told you to do? I told you to hold that correct doctrine and don't get sidetracked. But he said the second half of that is make sure that love is your motivation. Don't let that slip away. Make sure that love, you're loving from a pure heart. If Christ is a shepherd and the pastor is an under-shepherd, displaying the life of Christ to the people, can that job be done in any stretch of the imagination without love? If the pastor's job is to show Christ to his people, can it be possible that he could even think about doing that job without love? It just cannot be. And Paul says, none of that pretend love. Don't be faking that you love people. Christ's love is not a pretend love. Neither should yours be Timothy. The fact of the matter is, Timothy, you can hold all the right doctrine that you want, but if you do it without love, nobody will care what doctrine that you hold. So you're going to hold that correct doctrine, but you're going to do it with love. Second thing, Timothy, he says, You've got to do this job with a good conscience. You're going to hold this position. You're going to hold correct doctrine, but you're going to do it with a good conscience. You know, I think it would be a really nice thing if every church in the world was pastored by a perfect person. Wouldn't that be nice? If every church in the world was pastored by a perfect person, that would be so great. The only problem is, there aren't any available. And so our churches must be pastored by imperfect people. A pastor is not some special, cut above everyone else kind of guy. He is just like everyone else. You know the people who forget that and start treating the pastor like he's something more than everybody else? Very often finds out that he's less than everybody else. They find out that they were thought he was here and he's actually here. It happens all the time if you keep track of these kind of things. A pastor is not sinless. Neither can he hope to be. But there is one thing that a pastor can do. And that's exactly what Paul tells Timothy. You can't be sinless, but you can live with a good conscience. You can go to Christ every time you sin. You can go and be cleansed by the blood of Christ. You can stand in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. You do not have to let sin reign in you. You can be 
You cannot be a sinless pastor, but you can stand in the righteousness that the blood provides. You can live clean. Now, why would Paul tell Timothy this? Because by now, Timothy has figured out how easy it would be as a pastor to hold bitterness, anger, greed, unforgiveness, pride, and 10,000 other things in his heart while he is still preaching correct doctrine from the, pu- from the pulpit. Paul says, Timothy, don't do that. You must hold correct doctrine. But make sure that you are walking step by step with the Lord. Don't let some get, sin get lodged in your heart and take root. You cannot be sinless, but you can live with a conscience clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. So hold that doctrine and don't get sidetracked, but do it with love and make sure that you are doing it with a good conscience. And the third thing, don't be pretending. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Why would Paul tell Timothy this? Why would Paul tell Timothy, don't be pretending? Because by now, Timothy has figured out that putting up a good front and saying the correct words is always expected of him. People expect a pastor to always have that right look and always say the right things. And figure, Timothy has figured out that saying pious-sounding things and acting the way people expect him to ask is a pretty easy thing to do. Do you know it's much easier to act spiritual than to be spiritual? It's much easier to talk like you have, like you People come to church and they put their church face on when, they, when they're around the pastor. And by now, Timothy's figured out, hey, I can do the same thing. If I want to, I can put my face on. It's easier than being real. Timothy learned that he could pretend just as much as the next guy. Paul says, guard yourself, Timothy. You can pretend for a while, but you cannot hide it forever. Eventually, what you are is going to come out. So, what do we have here? We have Paul's advice to Timothy. What do we have? We've got these instructions. Well, his original instructions are hold correct doctrine and make sure that others are doing that as well. And do not get sidetracked by these worthless rabbit trails that you could be sucked into. Don't let that happen to you. But, Timothy, it's not enough. You've got to hold that doctrine with a pure heart of love. And you've got to hold that doctrine with a clear conscience before God. And you've got to hold that doctrine without pretending. This was Paul's command to the pastor Timothy he's mentoring. How much of that applies to you? You'll have to decide yourself. The fact is, right doctrine is not enough. Let's pray.